0: Watch with us, you know, be with us. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm afraid you'd stay home and watch on TV. But what's wrong with that? People, there's so much, you know, preaching out there now. There's preachers I listen to. I love to hear Keller and Piper and, you know, uh, some of these big names, these guys who are so gifted get the cds the dvds you watch on tv you're streaming online you get the podcast you buy the book there's so much teaching and more and more people are content to stay at home don't feel the need for church is that okay no it's not okay but why is it not okay you know of course you know i'm going to say that you know but why do i say that not just because it's my job, but because I believe the Scripture so, so clearly says that Christianity is not something you can do in isolation. If you want to live a life of obedience and abundance according to the Scripture, if you want to live a a biblical uh, life, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to connect. I believe the scripture says that from Genesis to Revelation in the clearest possible terms on almost every single page. Christianity is corporate, it's a people. And it's a people, it's a family, it's a body for a reason, for many good reasons. There are a number of texts that I could have gone to this morning to talk about it, the one where Paul talks about the body. Church is is a body, and some of you are hands, and some of you are feet, some of you are eyes, and some of you are ears, and the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. But the person who stays home and watches church on TV is the eye saying to the ear or the feet, I don't need you. I can just watch TV. I can just get information or whatever teaching I need for me by by sitting on my couch or laying in my bed. I don't need you. Vanity, vanity, the teacher says, right? This rings through Ecclesiastes. Another thing under the sun that is vanity, and that word there means it's meaninglessness. Meaningless, meaningless it is, pointless, it's empty, it makes no sense, he says. What? Well, verse 8, that one person has no other. The NIV translates it, there was a man all alone, a woman, a person who's all alone. And he says it makes no sense. It's vanity, it's meaningless. No one, he says, verse 8, one person who has no other, either a son or a brother, And yet there's no end to his toil. There's no one he can call son. There's no one he can call brother. This might be quite literal family, but, you know, for all of us, we all know. I I haven't lived close to my family since I got married and entered the ministry. And I've lived at a distance from them. And those who I've called brother are very close at hand. Those who I call sons, people who I've invested my life in, I've had my children, but they're grown and gone. And there are those, you know, who do we call son? Who do we call brother? And it says he has no one to call son or brother. He has no time for meaningful relationship, friendship. He's not close to anyone. He's pulled back. He's pulled away. He's become disconnected. And this happens so often in the life of the church and for so many reasons. You know, sometimes we suffer and we tend to, pull away sometimes we're disappointed in something we pull away sometimes we we don't like something's going on and we pull away sometimes there, you know life gets busy and so we just pull away there are just a thousand reasons why we can and satan tempts us and we pull away because i truly believe it is a temptation to become disconnected from god's people verse 8 again, he stands back and he looks at it and then he says, toward the end of the verse, you know, he's not satisfied with riches and he never stands back and asks, for whom am I toiling and doing all this? This is vanity. It's an unhappy business. It's a sad and lamenting verse, that verse 8, isn't it? It's 7 and 8, vanity, vanity. It's meaningless. It's an unhappy business. This guy is all alone. He has no relationships. He has no clo- nobody close, no brothers. It's so sad. The person has become relationally isolated from others. He's all alone. He works hard. He's got something in his life. In fact, that something in his life so fills it that he has no time to be relationally connected to other people. And the point is, this makes no sense, as he says. It's vanity, it's meaningless. It's not the way it should be, it's not right. It's not. It's not the way that it was designed. It's not the right fabric for the universe. It's an empty way of life. It's a meaningless way of life. Why is this man alone? You know what is the source of his isolation? In the, in the passage, in this little text, he gives us this window into this guy's life. It tells us there is no end to his toil. Right. This verse eight again. There's no end to all of his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied. He's over invested in the wrong things. He works hard. His life is full. He's probably putting in a 70-hour week. I mean, who knows? There's no end to all of his toil. But in the end, he's not connected the way that he needs to be connected. He's invested in the wrong things, and his eyes are never quite satisfied. And so there's no end. This is a cycle that, 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 you know, is hard to break because he's not satisfied. And so there's that work, and there's this. And it says he never takes the time. And it's one of the sad things about this this passage as you stand back. You know, he's pursuing stuff rather than people. And as he stands there, he doesn't notice it. It's not necessarily a conscious choice. He didn't say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to structure my life and my work and my calendar and my schedule in such a way that I'm not going to be closely connected. I'm not going to have any brothers. I'm not going to have any friends that are that close. I'm just not going to have any sons that I'm investing in. You know, no people in my life that could learn from me or benefit from my attention and my love and my investment in them. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to isolate myself from people, and I'm just going to work myself to the bone. It says he doesn't, this isn't a conscious choice. So many of the things that we find ourselves in, there's so many times we step back and just ask the question, how did I get here? And I think that's where this guy ends up. He he ends up in that place where he stands back and it says he never has the time to stand back and ask the question, how did I get here? He never asks, for whom am I toiling? And depriving myself of pleasure. And the pleasure in the text is clearly relationship. Relationship, people. Bottom line is that he's alone because he's pursuing stuff rather than people. Though for us there are a lot of reasons. I could, If I had to sit down and tell you the reasons I've just been told by people and made a list of the things that would cover a couple of pages of why it is Why am I so isolated? Why am I not connected to people in a meaningful way? Why am I so busy, so driven? Why do I have no time to develop relationships? The passage the author of God says, it's an unhappy business. It's a sad state of affairs. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. Relationships. Are at the center of our lives. When people ask me how I'm doing, ninety eight percent of the time, the answer to that question is, "How are my relationships doing? (laughs) How I'm doing is how my relationships are doing. How are my kids doing? And how am I with my wife? And how am I connected with other people? Am I am I at odds with anyone? Am I you know? And those are the kind of things that things are good when my relationships are good. Two are better than one. This is a fundamental fact of the universe. He states it in verse 9. You know, two are better than one because... And then he gives a list of four reasons. We're going to talk about those. But he, he states it as a, just an a unequivocal fact, something that's self-evident to the, to the mind. Two are better than one. And in most things, that's true. And he's talking relationally. And when he says two are better than one, he's saying two people are better than one person alone. Right? Two people are better than one. This is a... This is part of the fabric of the way the universe is made. Relationship is better than isolation. That's the way it is. It is the fabric because that's the way God made it. Within the first 50 verses of the Bible, if you start reading in Genesis chapter 1, by verse 50, God is going to say it is not good that man should be alone. It's not good. And we always, are often, you know, we take that in the context of marriage because God makes him a helpmate, and and it does apply to marriage. But I would suggest to you that Adam wasn't just not married. Adam was alone relationally, period. And that that is a statement not just about marriage. It's a statement about human nature. It's a statement about the way we're wired. It is not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to be disconnected. Two are better than one. Kent Hughes is there in your bulletin under the second point if you want to read it. He says this, that today friendship has fallen on hard times. Why? Because friendship takes time and investment and we don't don't have time and we are investing in the wrong things. Today friendship has fallen on hard times. Few have time for good friends. Few men have good friends. Women have more but I even see women struggling these days, much less deep friendships, individualism, autonomy, privatization, isolation are culturally cachet. But deep and devoted and vulnerable friendships are not. This is a great tragedy. It's a great tragedy for the self, for you, for me. But it's also a great tragedy for the family and for the church. Because it is in relationship that we develop into what God wants us to be. As you read your New Testament in particular, that could be so demonstrated literally on every single page of your Bible of what we are to do and to be for one another that we might thrive spiritually. Old Testament also, he says, iron sharpens iron, right? It's iron that sharpens iron. What does it mean? It's people that sharpen people right? People sharpen people. It it is in relationship with other people that we become more of what God wants us to be, to grow spiritually, to grow personally. It is true in the ordinary functions of life and this passage kind of touches those you can kind of go with this passage and he's just talking about ordinary mundane things if you're going to work in a field it's good to have two people out in the field rather than one you know if you're cold at night and you're laying under your blanket shivering you know what it's better to have two people under the blanket than one because you'll keep warm you know and if you're out in the field by yourself and you stumble over a stone and you sprain your knee you know it's better to have a friend not far away that you could call out to so in the mundane things of life the things that he's teaching here are true but i'm going to suggest spiritually, they are doubly true, and it's why it's in your Bible. He's not just giving you good safety practices for, you know, a comfortable, successful life. He is speaking into our lives as God's people. And so spiritually, these things are two. Let me give you four reasons that he gives us in this text. He says, two are better than one. Fundamental fact of the universe. Four reasons why. Number one, we see it in verse nine. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return, a good reward for their toil. It multiplies fruitfulness. Right, And you see them in your bulletin. There are four multiplies, right? It multiplies fruitfulness, it multiplies help, it multiplies heat, it multiplies strength. But it multiplies fruitfulness. They have a good reward for for their toil. It means they're more productive, they're more profitable. And when we band together as brothers, as we band together as sisters, we make more progress faster than if we were alone. In fact, we make the kind of progress you cannot make alone iron sharpens iron, and there must be touching and friction and sparks and things that need to happen. The practical truth is, is you know, there's a good reward for our toil. Many hands make light work. You know how many times or have you said, maybe it's not your sense, you know, but I could really use another pair of hands, right? In other words, I could, if, if you want to help me, that would be awesome. You know, Or really, it's, it would be great to have a second pair of eyes to look at this, to give me another perspective, some other perspective than mine, which is... You know, a second set of eyes, a second set of hands, two heads are better than one. Fruitfulness is multiplied when we're together. Relationships and connectedness is the context in which most of our spiritual growth takes place. You won't not grow at all alone, but you won't grow much. So you can watch a sermon on TV on your couch. You can gather information and truth. But church is not just about information, is it? I'm having this conversation yesterday with Elise Payne and the whole thing. You know, she's like, do you remember that church thing? I'm like, oh, yeah, I can still do. You know, the doors, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the door. And, you know, and then we were talking about just the church is all the people. It's not that building, whether it's this building or a building over there, wherever it is, the church is, is the people of God. And the relationships that we have. And so, so watching a sermon on the couch is not church. I mean, yes, you're gathering information, but it's all about you, really. <laughs> but church is about people. And it's not just about what you get or what you receive or what you learned that day or how interesting it was. Church is about people and what we learn together and then what we do. You, you might learn it on your couch, but you better get up if you're going to do it and be obedient because you can't live it alone. You have to live it together. We do it together, we learn together, we share life. We need someone who knows us, who challenges us, who tells us the truth, who holds us accountable. I was thinking about this and some of the things that are really powerful to me is we're sitting in small group and we go around and share prayer requests and I share a couple of things and as we take a minute to pray and then the person across the circle prays for me. I don't know if you care, you know, or, or what that does for you, but maybe it did, whatever it is. But I need, I, when people pray for you by name, these are the people that I meet with week after week. These are the people who know what's going on in my life. These are the people that care. I, I hope, I want, you know. These are the people then who pray for me and to hear them pray for you. Iron sharpens iron, people sharpen people. We need to think about these things and all of these things about why it is important to be connected to other people. And, and all of this, in some ways, talks about what we get. But I, you have to put yourself on both sides of this. Because if you fall, there's someone to pick you up. You know, there's, you know, your work, you know, it, your work is multiplied. or your. But put it the other way around. You multiply somebody else's work. You help other people thrive. When the people around you fall, you're there to pick them up. You're there to care for them. It's not just about getting, you know, I'm going to get connected so that I can get all this stuff from everybody. But I want to get connected because I have something to give. I am called to give. I am empowered. We just sang it, you know, about the spirit being given to empower us to do, close us with power to do all that is right. And so all of this, there's two sides of it. You need to, you need to be these things. I say the best way to make friends is to be a friend. Right, and so there's both sides of this. You know, it multiplies fruitfulness. It multiplies help. It brings people into our lives at a deeper level. Right? Look at verse ten. For if if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe! You you get that that word here and there in the Bible, and it's connected to some pretty heavy stuff. It's not on every page. You know, you should pay attention to the woes. Woe, woe to the one. Who is alone when he falls? And there's no one there to lift him up. We've all seen that commercial. Sometimes we laugh. You know the commercial. Help, I've fallen. And I can't get up. And it's not because it's funny, because if you know anyone that that's happened to, my mother broke her hip recently, and I'm glad there was someone there. And so there's a sense in which it's not funny, but the commercials are so bad, you know, and they're, they're so canned, and it's so funny, and so we laugh. But there's, there's this truth to it, though. We just got my mother one of those life alert things because she just broke her hip, her other hip. She broke them both now. Um, so, you know, we got our life alert, and here's that thing, because we, we worry for her, and hopefully she is a little concerned, too, that there's someone, that there's someone who can help her if something happens, and we all know this, but just think about it in every other way. For you emotionally, for you uh, spiritually, for you financially, right? For you when you enter into suffering, you know, you and your marriage goes through a difficult patch. Whoa, woe to the one who falls. And there's no one to pick us up, to reach out. I can lean on their shoulder and limp with them, and they help me through, get me off the ground, pray the prayers that I can't pray right now, right, to say the truth to me that I need to hear, that I can't remember, you know, who will tell me the gospel again because I can't feel it, I can't see it, you know, someone when I'm spiritually struggling, You know, it is beautiful to see the church be the church, and this church does this very well in so many ways, and it's beautiful to see somebody is struggling, somebody is hurting, somebody's in surgery, somebody, and to see people swarm around them and pray for them and provide their needs and encourage them and send them cards, and we do that so well. But here's the thing about it. I see it sometimes, I would say, the majority of the time that's done very well. But there are, there are many times, and maybe, maybe you're aware of them and maybe you're not, that it doesn't happen so well, even in our church. And why is that? I would suggest that it's this, that the people who are most connected relationally naturally have people around them who know what's going on in their lives and notice when they're not around and naturally reach out when something goes on. That's what relationship is. I've noticed you're not here, I'm not connected to you, or I know what's going on in your life, and then all of a sudden I know, so when I know that you're going to be there, then I show up the next day with a meal, or I call you up, or I send you a car. See, relationship, that is a natural thing. You fall, I pick you up, right? You're hungry, I feed you. You're in the hospital, I visit you. You're, you know, it's a natural thing, relationship does that. But what happens to the disconnected? To people who come on Sunday morning, right, but don't build relationship. You know, then it's the leadership's job to try to pay attention and notice before too long when people aren't around. The spontaneous care that enters our lives usually is the result and the fruit of relationship and connectedness. And it just happens. And I see it happen every day in our church. Just the the natural fruit of relationship. People caring for each other, loving each other, meeting each other's needs. But woe to the one who is alone when he falls it's sad to see people discover by experience what this guy discovered he never took time he never asks for whom am i you know out doing whatever i'm doing that i have managed to be relationally and then when the moment comes he finds where's the swarm where are the where are those people the teacher cries This isn't good. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. You should have people you can call son and and brother. You should have people in your life that you're connected to, people in your life that know what's going on, people in your life in the church that can care for you. It multiplies fruitfulness, it multiplies help, and it multiplies heat. You know, it's interesting truth That he does here, it's not even a metaphor, you know, this whole idea that it's unable sometimes uh, to generate enough heat to stay warm alone. When we're cold, it's like, you know, snuggle up, honey, you know, like, get close to me. Why? Because we multiply heat, we stay warm together. There's a strange relational math. We can share heat, and it multiplies. When we're not connected to other believers, it is easy to grow lukewarm. I know it for myself. So quick and so easy. When I get more disconnected, I grow lukewarm. I get cold. I get hardened. I stop caring as much. You know, a sermon on TV can be enough. I heard a... Well, we'll skip that. The goal of preaching is not information. You can get information from your TV, but the goal of the preaching... The goal of what I'm doing this morning, and I pray to God that it be so. The goal of a sermon, the goal of what we're doing here this morning is fire. Right? It's, it, it, is, it is being clothed in empowered by the Spirit to do all that's right. You know, to hear the word of God and being able to live and to do the word of God. You know, the whole point of what we, whatever I do here this morning, where does that fire come? And it's going to come as we are together relationally living out what we learn and know and stretch. Spiritual growth and kingdom living is fire and we can only do that together. We impart heat to one another. We warm each other's hearts. We light each other's fire. I mean, you know the log illustration, I've used it before because I I like it and I remind myself all the time, don't pull away, pull together, right? There's the, the fire in my, I have a fireplace that actually works and I burn logs in it and, you know, if you have three logs and they burn, you have a nice fire, but if you take that top log off and lean it against the wall, the other two will continue to burn, but that one, the flame goes out. You see some coals on it, they're red coals for a while, but it begins to smoke. And before long, it's black and you can't see. It just smolders. But if you take it again and stick it back on top of the other two, it kindles. Right? We warm each other's hearts, right? We light each other's fire. We feed off of each other. And we really need each other to burn. Second Timothy 2.22, Paul says to Timothy, pursue righteousness. You had that right life. It's a life that's full of faith and love. My faith has to be bright and strong and my love has to be lived and practical. You know, caring love is patient and kind and it does this and it does pursue righteousness, faith and love and peace but do it along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. God says don't do it alone. Do it together. Band together. Connect together. Connect together. It multiplies fruitfulness, it multiplies our help, it multiplies our heat, and it multiplies our strength. Everybody knows and that it's true, there are strength in numbers, right? A log, alone the log smolders, alone the log goes out, but where there are a number of logs together, there is strength and there is heat. There there is strength in numbers. We're in a war. I don't know if you know that. I just read James this week as part of reading through the New Testament in the summer. We still have a group of, I think, about 18 folks that meet every Thursday night. We're reading through the New Testament. Just read in James, again, that passage. It says, my dear friends, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires that are waging war against your soul. My soul is in a a daily war. And he says, pursue the righteousness to abstain from those sinful desires that would destroy your soul. He says, pursue this righteousness along with those who will warm your heart and light your fire, hold you accountable, tell you the truth, who will pray with you. Bonhoeffer says in his little book, Life Together, he says, he who is alone in his sin is utterly alone. How many of us, when we're struggling with sin, pull away? When we should press in. How many of us, when we're struggling with anything, pull away? And we should press in. He who is alone in his sin is utterly alone. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding our corporate worship and our common prayer and all of our fellowship and service, we may still be left to our loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship doesn't occur because, though they have fellowship on church on Sunday morning or something with one another as believers and devout people, they don't have fellowship as undevout as sinners, in other words, where we can be real together. You know, sitting here this morning, we clean up pretty good. You guys look good. You seem to have it all together. You know, it's all very nice and sterile in that respect, you know, but we get around in a circle where there's five or six of us, and you just go around and say, how can I pray for you? You know, and the dirt comes out. <laughs> like you know, what's going on? You know, we only have, if we only have fellowship together as believers and devout people on Sunday morning. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. Which is why the writer of Hebrews says, Exhort one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort each other every day. Why? Because you're not meant to fight the battle alone because you're vulnerable, because you can and will be overcome, because you need others. It's not good for man to be alone. Two are better than one. And from experience, we know the changes that we feel, that we know when we know that we're not alone, when I'm not the lone struggler, when I share my struggle and three people in the group say, I know what you're talking about, brother, I've been there. I, I, I know that struggle myself. I'll pray for you if you'll pray for me. Will you ask me about that next week? Let's fight this battle together. It changes everything to know I'm not alone. That I have friends, compatriots, allies, peeps. People that we can call on, people we can count on. The threefold cord. You know, as he ends this thing, he, he basically repeats the same thing. I think he says two are better than one. It says threefold cord is not easily broken. If two are better than one, three is better than two, right? Three is stronger than two when it comes down to strength. So he restates what I think is the fundamental truth of the universe. Three is better than two. That's why Jesus says where well, there's two or three together, there I am among them. There is strength in those numbers and there is a spiritual multiplication that takes place. The bigger a church gets, the smaller the church must get in order to connect relationally. I've got a dozen other verses to talk about. I'm going to skip them all and come down to the end and, and push it. This is, you know, the, the absolute truth though is you read those scriptures and I'll let you look at them. Where the, you know, and I picked a few. I had 30 and I reduced it to 8 and now I'm just going to skip them and let you read them. But the, the new, to read your New Testament. God says, do this together. He always speaks of you in plural. Love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, bear with one another. The one verse I will touch is that Galatians 6, 2, where he says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Let me tell you, watching a sermon at home on your couch, you cannot fulfill the law of Christ. You have abandoned the law of Christ and you've stopped following him. Because he says to, bear, to fulfill the law of Christ requires us to bear each other's burdens, to be in each other's lives, not just be there, but in a practical way, to bear each other's burdens, to be connected, to be a people, to be a family, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, fathers. You know that you, We are a family together. And so Hebrews, let us, he says, let us consider how to stir one another up can't do that on your couch at home. He says, but think of ways how you can do this. And if you consider, you'll think I'm going to have to get off my couch and go to church, right? Consider how, how we can stir one another up to love and to good works and to consider how I can be stirred up to love and good works because I need to be stirred. Not neglecting, he says, then to meet together. That's going to require some togetherness. Let us not forsake the gathering together. As Some are in the habit of doing and it's a bad bad, bad cultural habit. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So with the writer of Hebrews, I would just ask us as we press into the fall and start up a new time of ministry, there there are different ways that you can do it and you can press it, you can pull back or you can press in. As we enter into the fall, I would encourage you to press in, to move toward people. To call some people up and have lunch. To move toward people. To get involved in ministry. Put your shoulder next to somebody else's and and help. You know, there's a greater return, uh, a reward for our labor when you shoulder to shoulder with someone. Look for those who will need picking up. You know, how do we do this? And I, you know, you know the answer, and I don't have to make the plug very strong now. It is we, we have small groups, and we have them for a reason. That's why I don't want to just have small groups. I want us to be small groups. I want you to be connected together with each other, somewhere out there, involved in somebody else's life, having those relationships where when something happens, there's a swarm of people around you, picking you up, meeting your needs, caring for you. Home fellowship groups are a great way to just build relationships. Once a month, they they really take the place. Our flocks used to do a bunch of functions, and one of them was to have regular get-togethers, you know, just for socially. Well, it's a home fellowship group. Once a month, all you do is get together and share a meal, a potluck, a dessert. Build relationship, build community, be together, be the people of God. Where two or three are gathered. You know, it doesn't mean he's not with us when we're alone. But it means something, doesn't it? When two... Or three are gathered. Jesus says, uh, I am among them in a unique way. Because the spirit that dwells in me dwells in you. And there is a power, a strength, a fire. Things happen when we connect. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning confessing to you that as often or not, it's easy just to pull away. It's less work. And sometimes uh, the temptation overcomes. Father, I pray for us as a church that this would be a year that we do not pull back, but that we press in. This would not be a year that we find ourselves isolated, but a year that we seek connection, that we seek people, uh, that we would not stay on the surface, but that we would delve deep. A year when we would go shoulder to shoulder against our sin, that we would go shoulder to shoulder in ministry, that we would go shoulder to shoulder in the things that you call us to as your kingdom people. God, come near Fill us with your Spirit and make us indeed a people of God. These things we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.